Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Smell, say your name one time for me. Do the, do the, do the this is the smell. Come on, you got to do it for me one time. This is the smell. Oh, yes, there it is. All right. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Schmo Zone podcast, episode 16. I'm Dave Schmolson, a.k.a. The Schmo. And I'm Helen E. Sports. little faster pace for that introduction today. I just want to switch it up from time to time. Hey, nothing wrong with keeping things interesting and keeping it fresh. Speaking of keeping it fresh, we are alive. Got back from Jacksonville, Florida on Sunday. It's now Tuesday. Getting my days to mix up, Getting, right? Yeah, we spent, what, 11 nights, 12 days in Jacksonville? Yes. Three fights and eight nights. UFC, the first professional sports, uh, MMA, the first professional sports back. UFC being at the forefront. We were a part of history. Good feelings. Good feelings and great fights. Amazing of, fights. Yeah. All three fights were absolutely just remarkable and i think the prelims of saturday's fight night probably some of the best prelim fights i've seen in a long time oh my gosh i know i mean and i'm excited to talk fights a bit later with our guest today yep uh first reoccurring guest on the schmo zone podcast it's going to be coach eric nick sick of yes. extreme couture what do you want three for three on yeah <laughs> francis Ngannou, dan ige claudia gadelia all great fights, all great results. He's got to be feeling pretty damn good right about now. Yes, and I'm excited to talk to him about the Francis and Ganu John Jones, of course. But like we'll we get said, to that. yeah, we'll we'll talk about that later. But in Jacksonville, did you enjoy it? Like, did you like the city? It was nice being able to kind of see the river, right? It was amazing. The St. John's River, I think our, our hotel, we stayed at the Hyatt Regency Riverfront right along the St. John's River there. It was really nice to wake up and see water every single morning. But we were being quarantined inside of a hotel. But it felt like we could escape a little bit by just being on a trip and some level of normalcy, having uh, a trip, a fight week to cover. But at the same time, it was different because it was still locked down. Mm -hmm. The restaurants were still for the most part, I know Florida's pretty lax with some of their their um, social zip distancing. I mean, they do the six feet yeah. and everything like that, but they're dining. Some some restaurants were open up, but um, it was different because it wasn't the same. Everything was locked down. There's very few people out on the streets, and when we did leave the hotel, it was just to walk along the river. And wearing the face mask the minute we left our hotel room, right? Yes, uh, wearing our face masks everywhere. Yeah. Um, even in the interviews. Even in the <laughs> interviews, I had the schmo shield and the face masks. Yeah. Um, it was a good time, nonetheless. It was just good to be back and to do what we love and to see some amazing fights. I have know. sports because we both love sports, right? Yeah, it truly made my soul happy. So I'm in a great mood. Yeah. What? What? Why not? Oh, but I do have to say though, because now you're talking about Saturday. Um, the third fight card. Your schmo jacket, that was really cool. Team Blazers UK. Um, huge shout out to those guys. I think they reached out to me on Instagram maybe about a month, month and a half ago. Uh, they said, look, hey, mate. Everyone in the UK <laughs> loves to use the word mate. It's great. Uh, hey, mate, we want to make you a schmo blazer. Send us your logos. Tell us your sizing. So we literally, Helen, I got to give you the credit. 
you're amazing. We took a tape measure and we just measured my size and yeah. we found out my jacket size with them because I guess their sizes is a little bit different, how they measure in the UK versus how they would tailor here in the US. Like specific measurements, they wanted like half of my back and then they wanted a waist. They wanted to how it would be when you sit down. So we just guessed and they shipped it directly to the hotel in Jacksonville. And man, that is the sharpest suit I own to date. I know. Well, fashion class in high school did come in handy. I did take fashion one and two, and I know a little bit about sewing and whatnot. But yeah, if you haven't seen David or the Schmo's jacket, it is freaking awesome. Check it out on it's on your it's on um, my Instagram Instagram. But you didn't post or, I mean. I'm sure you could post it later on, but the back of the jacket. Yes. That was really cool. It's like a huge schmo. Helen, it's safe to say it's not going to be the only time I ever wear that jacket. We'll get a lot yeah, of use on true. it. Yeah, that's true. And they've already hit me up. They do waistcoats. They do uh, more designs. They're already going to make more. But I mean, I was intrigued by them because they did a tribute to Kobe Bryant, rest in peace. And it was yeah. amazing. And they just you know, they said, hey, what do you think? And then I just threw a couple of ideas. They threw a couple of ideas. They made it work. They made it happen. I love that it was purple, by the way. And ironically, Bruce Buffer, the legend, was wearing <laughs> purple that night. Might be one of the few times the Schmo actually had a better blazer, better coat than a Bruce Buffer at a fight card. Well, when you when you see it and see uh, your face on it everywhere, I guess, it's kind of hard to beat that, right? It's cool. You know, I, I think I said this before in an earlier podcast, but if you were to say to me five, six years ago, what are you going to be the rest of your I, I knew I'd be in sports. I knew I'd be in sports journalism, but I really didn't know I'd be the schmo. And what would the schmo look like and everything? It's like, hey, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm the schmo. <laughs> Not a schmo, the schmo. The schmo, exactly. We're all schmoes, right? Um, but Overall, I am a blessed human. I am a blessed schmo. I feel very fortunate that I'm in this position where you get companies reaching out to you on Instagram to make custom schmo gear. Love it. And I'm very, very lucky. And I'm very, very grateful. But you did just say if a few years ago, you know, if someone were to tell you X, Y, and Z, but speaking of that and kind of looking ahead, what's your thoughts? I mean, and especially during this pandemic and moving forward from it, the future of journalism. Yeah, and we talk about this a lot, uh, but I just think regardless if we had this pandemic or not, inevitably journalism was changing. Uh, we're in yeah. this digital age. The thing that really sucks about getting all this information so quickly, which is the amazing part, it's that it's not about who is right, it's about who's first. People are scrambling to be first to get something out there and that's kind of the culture that this modern day journalism has created. Whereas, okay, you get it out first, but you're not fact checking. You're not checking if something's right. It's okay, let's put something out there. We'll get the ratings. And then if we're wrong, okay, we could just, you know, keep that monetization. We could keep those ratings, but then we can release the next day. Hey, we were wrong. There's no consequences for being wrong. And that's what really irks me. It's, I, I think speed's important but I think integrity should never be jeopardized for speed. And I think that's a huge problem in journalism. Uh, Pre-COVID-19, post-COVID-19, that's an issue. And, and that's something that needs to be addressed. But in terms of the future of it, we're seeing expedited layoffs. It's not like Sports Illustrated and specifically sports journalism. Sports Illustrated, ESPN, Fox Sports, they've all had their layoffs. I remember it was a few years ago, Fox Sports just you know, they got rid of, they fired all of their writers and they just focused on short-term digital video. I know ESPN's had layoffs, obviously Sports Illustrated has had layoffs, all these companies. And I think you have the old dinosaurs mentality, the people that have rejected you and I in the sports industry for so long, so reluctant to change in the same old TV, old age model and how to present something and people are so um, tight living on the way they're accustomed to. They're afraid of the change. They're afraid of doing something different. And I think they're forcing everything. So I think the future of journalism partially is what we're doing. It's okay. How can you adapt? How can you be quick? How can you be unique? How can you get more information out there? Um, but show integrity and authenticity. But a lot of people told me years ago when I was trying to break into it and I ended up having to create my own show because 
No one gave me a chance. But during that time, a lot of people said, you know, jobs in sports, it's very rare, right? And more rare to have a full-time job. But just breaking into sports is so hard, sports journalism. So now, um, you know, through this pandemic and moving forward into the future, do you think that jobs in sports journalism will will become even more rare or is this a good opportunity that people can create and utilize the digital era? Yeah, I think with all these jobs in sports, it comes down to sponsorship dollars. It comes down to brand dollars. How can they monetize? If you're going to have a TV show, if you're going to have a digital show, you're going to need sponsors. You're going to need to have an audience. You're going to have to have numbers. So and sponsors are going to want to be a part of that program. And it's going to be tougher than hell. I mean, look, let's let's face it. Could I create the schmo in a post-pandemic world? If I wanted to create this character or a character, any character, call it Bob Zena, random name. I don't know. John what Zena, the... Bob Zena. Let's say I create John a character. Cena a Bob Bob's... Zena. A Bob Zena character. Hey, I do. Shout out to... Uh... Pro wrestling fans. Yeah. Well, yeah, I just don't... kind of brought back the you can't see me. I said Zena, not Cena, but whatever. I yeah, know. You, you got but it. I was okay, but if I wanted to create a character, well, it's going to be extremely difficult doing something digitally, virtually, not in person, and to, to build the integrity. I think a lot of my success is building trust, but building that trust with my work in person, seeing the integrity of who I am, the person underneath the mask, the person underneath the character, uh, a lot of the publicists, a lot of the PR teams, a lot of the executives that make mm-hmm. decisions see this in action. And I'm able to win over the fighters and the fans by them seeing that. Well, if you're trying to start something from scratch now, you're going to have to be even more creative. And I think you got to utilize the digital tools. You got to utilize the musics, the TikToks, the Instagrams, the Twitters. You have to take that and just spin off of something and do something unique. Like someone like Bob Menery, right? I bring this guy up all the time. Kudos to him. Obviously, no one's given him chances. So he took content. He used his unique voice. I don't know the legalities of actually using that type of content because he doesn't own it, but he does that voice. He does a great damn job doing it. People notice who he is, and then he starts a podcast off off of it, just like kind of how we're starting a podcast off of the Schmo character, the Schmo and the Pro, Helen E, Helen E Sports, the brands that we built. You're able to segue into that and take the audience that you have and carry it over. But what's so gratifying about us and a guy like Bob well, I don't. I've, I've <laughs> had my story with Bob Menery. Uh, I actually should bring that up. I can yeah. get into that. But from what I know, we're just self-made. You know, all the decision makers, the executives, just didn't want to give us a chance. So we said, "Screw it. We'll do it our ways. We'll do it better." And as time progresses, we have the youth, we have the technology, the innovation, and the future on our side. And the motivation, and that does add fuel to the fire. Outwork us, right? I know. I always tell people I will work 25 hours a day if I could. 25 hours, eight days a week if I could. Someone could be born on third base thinking that they hit a triple, but they still have to run home. They still have to get home to score a run. All right. Are they just going to stop at the triple or are they going to be like us who goes up to the plate, swings, maybe gets a single and then steals a base, you know, rugged? You know, head first, you get all the dirt on the mound or on the diamond from you on your uniform. So you scratch and claw, you carry over from a sacrifice fly, sack bunt or whatever, get to third base and you find a way to either steal home or score. You're mm-hmm. in the game and we find a way to, to bring it home. And uh, that's something that hard work does. Yes. And... And it's rewarding. It's a longevity game. It's rewarding. Yes. I mean, there were plenty of days where I'm sure you and I both have cried, right? I don't know about you, but I've definitely cried a lot. But um, yeah, so what about that Bob Menery story? Yeah, so Bob Menery. So probably around 2017 or maybe it was early or mid-2018, kind of my, my lowest of lows. I'm living with my brother in San Diego. I'd moved out of my apartment in L.A. I had nobody... 
supporting me except my brother, really. I follow in social media. I'm taking a lot of chances, investing in myself. I saw Bob Menery was, I think he was living in the East Coast in Boston. He was coming out to LA to do a charity golf tournament with Golden Tate, wide receiver. Mm-hmm. I think he's with the Giants now, but at the time he was with the Lions. Uh, played at Notre Dame, played for Pete Carroll in Seattle. Uh, I love my football, if you can't yeah. tell. So I think he lives in like... Um, you know, a wealthy community like Rancho something, Rancho Santa Margarita, somewhere in San Diego, right? Private golf course. So I knew Bob was playing him for charity. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go there. I bring my iPhone. I bring a little camera that I could stick into my iPhone for audio. And I'm like, look, I'm just going to show up there and be like, look, let's see if the schmo can broadcast, can interview these guys as they're competing for charity, try to involve myself in the circle. So I sneak in, I you know, I got into the gated community. I kind of just said I'm part of the team. You know, I, I'd go there. I don't think Golden Tate had showed up yet. I saw Bob. I drove up to the clubhouse. I found it. I scared the shit out of him. I startled him because I show up. I'm dressed in my blue blazer, my funky pants, some of my blue spiky shoes. I'm like, oh, Bob, Menry, this is the schmoke. Good to meet you finally. I got to talk to you. You're doing, you're doing something with uh, Golden Tate here, huh? Can the schmoke broadcast it? And he, I mean... He was just blindsided because he had he didn't know who the character was and you know i probably had ten thousand instagram followers at that time and maybe a thousand youtube subscribers at that time nobody knew who i was back then and he startled you know he called up the managers and uh you know you got they, arrested i didn't get arrested i left but i still got a little piece with bob mentoring a little video interview thing that's probably buried in my instagram somewhere something small whatever he literally called me that night. We got on the phone. He's like, dude, I want you to join my team. I want you to do this. I'm like, Bob, I'm not going to join your team, but we can collaborate and work together. It's like, you got no one following you. I'm like, yeah, you were at my point. You and I, at some point, you had 10,000 followers. At some point, yeah. you had 50,000 followers. You didn't just get to 2 million followers overnight. You know, it takes consistency. It takes time to build a brand. And over time, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get there. And he's like, no, join my team. Join my. I'm like, Bob, I'm not going to join your team, but I'm more than happy to work with you. And that was the last I ever spoke to him. Wow. <laughs> That's interesting. And, I mean, props to you for getting in there. Yeah, I mean, got in there. It's the same way I, I'm assuming Barstool Sports and Dave Portnoy, at some point, I, I could be wrong. I assume they tried to bring in Bob Mennery or Bob had reached out to yeah. Barstool because those types of brands, sorry, I hit the mic, overlap, you know, really, the scorchers make fun of everybody yeah. and everything. Um, and so the way that situation went, he thought he could, because he's bigger than me at that time and still bigger than me now, a lot bigger than than us, um, you know, say, hey, join my team and stuff like that. It's like, no, man, I, I'm for you. I support you. I follow you. I find you funny. It's good stuff. But uh, I did say this before. He can't do these highlights and put his name. Uh, there's got to be some sort of le- legality yeah, behind well, it. He's taken highlights from the yeah. NFL. The PJ has forced him to take that stuff down. ESPN's forced him to take down the softball stuff. He doesn't own it. That, that was my question, too, because you also mentioned how – you know, in this digital era and to be different or how to create content, right? But I always wonder for, I see so many pages, especially on Instagram, where they take content and like repost it or almost like as their own or whatnot. I I don't know how any of that stuff works, but. I think it's just with this, the internet, I say this all the time, is like the wild, wild west. I think yeah. when it comes to the laws are still catching up to what is what you can and cannot do on the internet. So I think some stuff gets taken down, some stuff gets missed, gets thrown in the fire, but we bring this up too all the time. It's better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission because if you're someone who's just gonna ask, oh, hey, can I use it? Likely if you're good, you have to ask. You pretty much know you can't. And rather than, oh, I didn't know I posted this, I take it down. Um, You know, I, I think it's something like that. And for his sake and his situation, like, you know, Get the views, get the followers, and if you have to take mm-hmm. it down, you comply and you take it down. I don't know how that works. I really don't know, but Me he's neither. obviously built a good brand for himself, a great brand. People know who he is. He's he's with A-list celebrities. He's with uh, A-list athletes. Kudos to him. Nothing but support for someone who's self-made. Um, I We both know how hard the grind is, so that's why you know it's a funny story to an extent. Um, nothing but respect for him. I'm just not going to join his team. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll just, I guess, talk about it on here. But speaking of greatness, what did you think of the finale of the Michael Jordan documentary? Yeah, I, t I tweeted it too. You know, uh, not just the, the greatest basketball player of all time, the greatest competitor I've ever seen in my yeah. entire life. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, it, it definitely lived up to the hype. I wish they could make more bonus episodes. I think Paul Gasol tweeted, hey, can we get more behind-the-scenes footage? I think they said they had 10-plus hours of footage. Um, I said this from the beginning. Jordan got the stage that he very much deserved. You mm -hmm. know, he's the greatest basketball player of all time. Um, there was no other sports going on aside from the UFC, but they don't do fights on Sunday nights. So that had the platform Sunday night, every single night for two hours. The ratings showed for it. Um, what I get the justification in seeing it's like, you know, in college, I heard, all, you know, growing up in Chicago and then going to Arizona and, and all my friends from Arizona or California where I went to college at, at the University of Arizona in Tucson, they're like, oh, Kobe, Bryant, Kobe Ryan's the greatest basketball player I've ever seen. He's the greatest LeBron of all James. time. Now that, we'll get to LeBron in a second, but it's like Kobe this, Kobe that. I'm like, dude, Kobe's just half assed version of Jordan. No, he's not half assed, but Kobe Bryant's a top 10, top eight player of all time. He's the next best thing to Jordan, but he's not Michael Jordan. He's not better than Michael Jordan. And then when it comes to LeBron James, all these kids who've never seen Michael Jordan play, oh, LeBron's the greatest. Yeah, he's the greatest basketball player of this generation, but it's better to argue is who's better, LeBron James or Kobe Bryant? Whereas who's better, uh, LeBron James or Michael Jordan? Why are you yeah. skipping Kobe Bryant in that conversation? That's a better argument to make. I don't disagree with that. And will there ever be another Dennis Rodman? I don't know. I, <laughs> Did you see? Because uh, was that the finale episode or episode nine? Or? But but just think about like how those teams are constructed and where they're found. Like how often do you get basketball players in this modern era? Because these kids are are fed. And this comes to my journalism days when I worked for USA Today. Um, I would go to these Nike Elite Eleven football camps. I would call mm -hmm. up the SIDs of small college basketball conferences. Um, so I was in the college basketball scene. I was in the high school basketball recruiting scene uh, four or five years. And um, these kids are spoon-fed since the age of 10 or 12. All that stuff with Adidas and the lawsuits, these guys get free meals, they get benefits, they get paid to go to college. This is happening in football and basketball, the biggest yeah. money-making sports in college. You're delusional if you think otherwise, right? But think about Dennis Rodman, who... They they have a documentary. If you haven't seen it, you have Netflix. Go to watch the Dennis Rodman documentary. But he went to southeastern Oklahoma State, like a small D2 or D3 school, not a Division One school. And Scottie Pippen, Central Arkansas. These guys don't come from major programs. I know uh, in football, it's more of a sport where, hey, they'll find you anywhere. But when it comes to professional basketball, it's very rare these days that you don't take kids that went to Duke or North Carolina, sure. Syracuse, some of these... Kansas, some of these powerhouse programs, Kentuckys, or they're now going to, I guess, the G League, the NBA Developmental League, or they're playing in Europe or Australia overseas for a year or two, but they're not coming from these small schools. So to answer your question for Dennis Rahman ever again, someone who's arguably the greatest rebounder of all time, one of the best defensive presidents of all time, Hall of Famer, amazing, amazing person, late bloomer. Personality. Personality. Carmen Electra still looks great, by the way. She That's does. A huge doc. That, that from the doc. Shout out to her. Amazing. She was really nice when I interviewed her. Yeah. You, you've interviewed Carmen Electra? I, I did. It was probably uh, one of my first times on camera doing like an on-camera interview in, was it 2016, I want to say? Early 2016? Yeah. So I interviewed her World MMA Awards, and she was really nice. And it's like, on your YouTube? So, like, beautiful, yeah. She's, like, she looks very just, like, perfect. I'm like, okay. Did you uh, break the camera lens with uh, too much beauty and one shot between the both of you, or what? <laughs> no, I mean, she probably did, but, yeah. But she was just super nice. A lot of memories from, like, that World MMA Awards, and, like, Tony Ferguson and stuff, and... Yeah, I yeah. did my first one this summer, and that was the day I had the, the surgery on my neck. I had that humongous cyst in my neck removed, and uh -huh. I'm on pain medicine. The most amount of interviews I ever did in my life in that one day in July, yeah. we did that. That was the day of the MMA awards. I know. Yeah. So you crushed it. Oh, th thanks. You crushed but it. Yeah, no, and why bring that up, because I remember um, 
yeah, interviewing them. It was, again, like one of my first times, if not, was that my first time on camera? I mean, it was, feels like forever ago now, but I remember like Tony Ferguson was one of my first interviews too, and he was super nice. Yeah, I I know you have a good relationship then with him and his wife. She, yeah. she came up and gave you a huge hug at the hotel. I, I think before and after his fight. Yeah, she's awesome, Christina. Yeah, so. but it it just for someone like him though. I mean, do do you think regardless of the result, and clearly you know he lost um, that fight. Do you think that his his aura and his personality gets even bigger from that loss and from that situation at UFC 249 than it was prior to? Yeah, he does seem like someone who uh, will be back stronger, no doubt, one million percent, and. I'm sure most of us, right, who are uh, following, like, MMA or whatnot, follow Tony Ferguson. So I've seen, like, his Instagram posts. And, I mean, it looks like he's been trying to get back into it quick. Um, I did speak to his boxing coach, Rashad Holloway, um, days after. And, and when I saw Tony that night at the hotel, he gave me a hug. And he seemed to... Um, be in great spirit. So I have no doubt that he'll definitely be back. CSO, champ shit only. He seems to live by that, regardless of the result. You know, he's still yeah. the same upbeat person. Yes. He's still going to train uh, in his ferocious style. And uh, I think the mentality is is there. Oh, I don't yeah. think he'll lose it. And I think the popularity is only going to grow. The legends, exactly. legendary status is only going to grow. I mean... The fact they did two weight cuts in less than 30 days, I'm still blindsided by that. Um, that's why I did ask, I think, Justin Gaethje at the post-fight mm -hmm. press conference, hey, you know, if that would affect your performance. And he said it, he did, can't speak for Tony, but he could speak for himself that it would have affected him. I, that's pretty yeah, telling. Yeah, that, that was a great question because also how Justin comes from that wrestling background. Yeah. And uh, we're going to bring in our next guest uh, for the podcast in two seconds. I just want to say this before we bring in Coach Eric Nixick, who probably had the best week of any coach going for three for three. Um, but I, d I do want to say, uh, I think we started the podcast with it, the Kevin Holland uh, yeah. throwing the shouts. I was blindsided by the people at the press conference that were, you know, I wasn't you know, it's late. It's we're on the East Coast. It's two in the morning. You're like, hey, say something, do something in the schmo character. I wasn't on. I wasn't on my game. So I do want to point that out. Hey, it doesn't matter. They all we we all have good days and bad days. And it was what like one a.m. and we're still kind of on you know different time zone. But yeah, you know, I I love that even like Glover to share. This wasn't caught on camera, but after his press conference, he's like, I love you, schmo. So it's, it's great to see, you know, just the Schmo brand continue to grow, and I'm very proud of it. You know, support of the major networks, it's it's rewarding. It's rewarding, and uh, but I love I love seeing your hustle. I love I love that we're doing this together, and uh, without further ado, let's bring in Coach Eric Nixick. He made the long, long drive <laughs> from Extreme Couture to be here today. Uh, coach. What's up, guys? I know yeah, we've all hey, been testing rigorously. <laughs> Congrats on everything. Thank you. Crazy week, right? Uh, crazy week. Crazy, what, 11 days? Yeah, wait, so did you fly back here and then fly back there? No, I stayed. I stayed. Okay. Yeah, I stayed. I didn't I didn't think there was any good reason to come back, yeah. back home. And it was really only going to be a day, so. Mm -hmm. and it was kind of nice because some of the bars had opened up. So I was <laughs> like, all right, we're going out Sunday. You know, so we found a couple spots. It was good. Yeah. Did you go to sleep uh, Sunday Sunday evening? I barely. Or Saturday evening? <laughs> barely. Barely. Yeah, we slept. And then, well, uh, the guys had to get up, like, kind of early to get catch their flight home. So mm -hmm. um, so I, I got up and said bye to those guys. And, but then I was I was wide awake. Yeah, I was wide awake. So so we're, we're 16 episodes into this thing, and you're the first reoccurring guest. I just thought it would be nice. appropriate. <laughs> I, think, I think it would just be appropriate because... Uh, you had such an amazing week, and it, it started from the very beginning, from mm -hmm. 249, and then from through UFC Jacksonville to UFC Florida. I mean, you were there the entire time. Yeah. Um, man, uh, out of let's let's say out of Claudia, Dan, and Francis, mm -hmm. they're all impressive. But yeah. who was the most impressive for you of those three performance that kind of, you know, 
extra extra proud of, you know? Well, I, I would have to say Dan just because of yeah. the short notice um, and then the level of competition with Edson Barboza and what we had to deal with, you know. Uh, I was fortunate enough to corner against Edson in the Kevin Lee fight, so I did have eight weeks to prepare for him in that particular fight. So a lot of the blueprint I try to carry over into Dan, but executing it and, you know, putting that together for him and then two different body types was 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 tough. And we knew what we were getting into with, with Edson, so... Um, you know, fortunately that decision went our way. It was a great scrap either way. No, any way that was going to go, I was so proud of Dan the way he fought. So it didn't matter to me. But curious to get your thoughts. Um, speaking of Edson and like you said, you cornered against him with Kevin Lee. Um, what did you think about how he looked at featherweight? I thought it looked amazing. Yeah. I mean, I thought, and, and we prepared for that. You know, we would get a lot of like, well, what happens when he misses weight and this? And I'm like, dude, this guy's a pro. He's been at this for a long, long time. Um, and we need to prepare for the best Edson Barboza that we're ever going to see. And because if you don't do that, you're, you're selling yourself short. And uh, I thought he looked amazing, you know. And I hope he stays at 145. I think that's a great weight class for him. So it's not an MMA fight or MMA event without fans and mm. controversy oh he won he didn't win mm -hmm. a lot of people took to social media and like oh edson barbosa won that fight he was robbed and stuff mm. like that and it wasn't the only fight there's a bunch of other fights especially mm -hmm. on that saturday evening just curious to get your thoughts did you think he did enough to win the fight were you nervous at all when they went to the judge's scorecard how did you feel about it before the results were announced to be honest with you, I was at peace with everything, and I think the product that we put out was up to the to the judges, and and he fought his ass off, and then everything else is left up to them, and all we need is the opinion of two, and they thought that Dan did enough to win that second round. Round three was ours, round one was his, and round two was the, the round in question. Um, I felt like Dan did enough uh, those first four and a half minutes, and then he got hit with a little bit of a body shot and, and ended up on his back. But, you know, you can argue both sides of it. And at the end of the day, they're, they're both high-level competitors that laid it out there, and then it's, it's the opinion of, of three judges that matter. That's, that's really it. So, unfortunately, that happens in this game, and it's part of the, uh, of the sport that we, lo we all love. It's just it, it is what it is, you know? Yeah, what I noticed, too, is uh, he finished the fight Mm. a lot stronger mm -hmm. that round yeah. three was a huge and i th uh, and coach. i think that that definitely weighed into the minds of the decision makers to the judges but talk to me about that first round because mm -hmm. he got he got rocked yeah and he withstood a lot of adversity what what was it like in the transition from round one to round two and what'd you guys say to him how do he catch his bearings because that was pretty remarkable yeah so he i mean he gets dropped i think maybe like 40 seconds into the first round and then uh, edson just lays on some really really good ground and pound and really for us, it was just to remain calm, to, to control posture, to alleviate some of the ground and pound and get your, get your wits about you. And once he did and he kicked him off and got back to his feet and uh, Dan just went straight Dan Hawaiian on him. And he closed the gap in round one. Although Edson did drop him, that round was going to go to him. But if you rewatch the fight, uh, Dan really closed, closed it up really well. So the way the round one ended, I knew, I knew we had a fight on our hands. I knew we were there. 50k Dan Egabe where was the 50k I thought so I thought so I mean I thought it was fight at night but you guys were there and saw every fight um we didn't get to see them the same way you guys did and um if there's any controversy at all I feel like that's the moment that Dana White could have said okay well I felt like Edson might have won or it was close enough that's a way to reward a guy you know give him fight of the night because I mean that was in my opinion that was the fight of the night yeah that was a great fight um but curious to also get your thoughts on you know, you were at so many of those fights. What did you think of no fans in attendance and just, you know? I loved it. And yeah. um, you guys you guys know me. I'm very thorough in, in trying to make sure that we check all the boxes. And that's something that we prepared for all camp long with Francis. We didn't spar with any music on. Um, we had to make sure as a corner that you guys were, that we were very deliberate in in the coaching, having codes. And then I made sure that we had another coach that was almost pandering to the judges. So, you know, if I was saying like, oh, man, that looked good or that, oh, that, that wobbled them and literally directing that conversation to, to, to the judges. So we, we, we planned for this. And that, I think that was part of the execution and what we did in the Dan fight and what I try to do in Claudia fight with Coach Mark Henry. You know, I was the third in that corner. So I was really amping it up for the judges. And, and, and that was my role. Um, so that's, that's what we, we prepared for. And we, we wanted to make sure that we weren't running over top of each other. We, we weren't sounding like a discombobulated corner, um, because that was really what's going to, was going to get shined. So we're all kind of like quarantined in the hotel at the Hyatt. 
and we're all in there together. Not just like the fighters, mm-hmm. but the coaches, but the referees. Mm-hmm. What was it like, like going up in the elevators, up and down, and seeing your opponent, seeing everything? Because I feel like in these eleven days, it was more of an overlap of running into the competition and the opposing sides than pretty much anything at any other time. Yeah, I, honestly, I, I really didn't see a whole lot of people. Like I, I saw you guys a couple times, but I didn't run into Edson at all. Um, I didn't run into uh, Jarzinho or, or really anybody for competition-wise. Maybe Angie, I saw her once, but um, I did see like the, the refs and I did see them. But for the most part, I feel like, I mean, I stayed in my room for the most time play call of duty you know nice. yeah i just i just hit out really and then we worked out and then Smart. that was it yeah yeah and then they had and everyone had like their individual pods too for mm-hmm. cutting weight mm-hmm. i kind of went in the back and and saw that mm-hmm. just get, get my own eyes to that sanitation was there uh the testing and everything like that um pretty much like how would you uh, kind of grade your overall experience doing that like is that something you can get used to for the remainder of the year like and just kind of what would you be your advice to do it again for yourself and maybe to other coaches that are listening to the podcast it, the, honestly i thought i thought they did a great job i really did and i thought they were very thorough um i didn't feel like i was like oh man i'm at risk at any point you know even with the jockeray thing it, i never even saw jockeray when i was there so I felt I, th- I felt that they they did their best job that they could and, and in a way I'm I'm glad something did kind of happen because it made them like reset okay how do we adjust and and then that's what they did so um, for the for any of the coaches I think when you when you come out there just know that like you're gonna get about an hour and a half to get your guy wrapped get him warmed up and then you're on, and then you're out there that was probably just the I'd say the biggest change, like you, you, you always yeah, I was say, like, ask you about that. hurry up and wait. You know, you mm-hmm. get there, like, why am I here for so long? And why did we get here so early? And, and you don't have that luxury anymore of time of just kind of messing around. It was very diligent. Get there, get your wrapped up, and let's get warmed up. And now you're scrapping, you know, so that was a big difference. But what about Francis? I mean, obviously the talk of the town yeah, right now sure. and Francis John Jones. Yeah. Kind of um, what's been really happening behind the scenes about that? Um, I mean, that just got legs quick, I think, you know, and and credit to John, no one's calling Francis out. I mean, really no one. And I don't think there's any better fight out there. And you can argue that, um, that, that he's the pound for pound number one, he's a goat. And that is a title fight in my, my opinion. Right. So it is. That's what you brought up. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you this. It's like, do you have to potentially put an interim title fight on the line to make that work because we're sitting here waiting for Stipe and DC. Mm. Obviously, we're going to get some sort of commitment to know of, hey, is this going to happen end of summer, early fall? What's going to be the situation? seems like Dana and some of the matchmakers are kind of putting pressure behind the scenes. Do you think it would only make sense to kind of make that fight an interim title fight? I think it does, depending on the timing. So if they say, hey, look, we don't see DC and Stipe fighting until September, October, but we can get this fight off in July, then I would put an interim on it. If you could get them on the same card, maybe, but I would like to, I, I think Francis and John for five rounds is a must, you know? Francis weighed in, I think, at like 261, could mm-hmm. be off by a pound or two. Um, what does he normally walk around at? What is he cutting weight to? We don't cut any weight at all, but we started camp at 271. 271. And then our goal, what I wanted him to be was 255. 255. And then with the with the pandemic and then everything kind of in and out, um, I actually talked to Luke Thomas. I think it was like two weeks before the fight and we weighed and he was 256. So we were right where we wanted to be. But again, it's like then you you, you add in the flight, you add in you know yeah. the you know, water load and all that other stuff too. And we weren't cutting any weight at all. So I think we weighed 262. But athletically, um, where I'd like to see him at as far as like movement and volume and what we can do, yeah, I'd say 260, 255 would be a good, good spot for him. So if you get the John Jones fight, John mm-hmm. would probably be, I can't see John being more than 235 at heavyweight. Yeah. So yeah. like... Would that still be, would you try to be less than 260, 255 if you're Francis? Like, I'm just kind of, get your thoughts. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. you haven't put enough thought into it yet mm-hmm. because we got to see if it materializes. But do you think his current fight weight and don't don't break what's, don't fix what's already not mm-hmm. broken or mm-hmm. would you kind of adapt a little bit? 
Um, I think you have to adapt a little bit still. Uh, and uh, as you've seen his body, this, especially this time around, I got a lot of people writing me because we, we implemented a lot of more MMA cardio rounds um, this camp. And uh, we had 14 weeks to do it. So you saw his body composition change a lot. He was he was cut up more, a little bit more muscular, I think, in, in those regards. And um, I think it would be important to make sure that you're just in really, really good shape, you know, really good shape for, for a guy like John. So I would like to see him about, I'd like to see him at 255, to be honest with you. But has the UFC talked to you guys about that yet, or? I, I don't know. I, t- I mean, I yeah. talked to Francis about it. He's like, brother, what do you think? I was like, it's, it's, a, it's a chess match. Yeah. Uh, and and we, you know, you have to fight this dude like you're playing chess. And this guy, I think one of the biggest things with John is he's probably, uh, which is very much overlooked, is how good his chin is and how good his defense is. I mean, he's very good, unbelievable all around. I think that gets overlooked on just really, really how good his defense is. And he's got the wrestling background. Absolutely. I can't imagine he's going to want to stand there, right there and trade. He's going to be mm-hmm. elusive. He's going to test the cardio For of sure. Francis. So let's walk back a couple of years ago because Francis looked indestructible mm-hmm. until he had the Stipe fight. Correct. And then Stipe kind of exposed some things with his wrestling mm-hmm. and, you know, putting all of his weight on him on the back of his neck and holding him down there. It, Francis couldn't do what he does best. Right. And it was a huge learning experience from him. And then maybe some argue that there was some hesitancy in the uh, Derek Lewis fight because of what happened with Stipe, but he's definitely got his mojo back mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, if John fights him, he's going to want to kind of look at some of those strategies with Stipe. Sure. So my question to you is go back a couple of years ago to that Stipe fight and then fast forward to where we are now. What's been the biggest adjustments in his, in that game? And then if somebody comes at him from a wrestling technical background, what will Francis do to prevent anything remotely like the Stipe thing from happening again? A lot of it's just building the confidence and understanding and putting yourself in that fire. You know, we talked about this before, and I'll, I'll use the same analogy is when you look at something like the Stipe fight or anything that has to do with your career, all of us, you know, there's a boogeyman that lives under the bed, right? And every once in a while, you have to look at that boogeyman and identify that and then start fixing those holes and Sooner or later, that boogeyman becomes one of your biggest allies. So if you're if you're scared of your cardio, well, let's dive into that shit. Let's start let's start making that part of our 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 ally rather than our fe- our biggest fear, you know. So that's was the approach that I had with him, especially. Um, you know, we sat and talked. Hey, man, w- how did you feel about this fight? Well, here's what I did wrong. Here's what I didn't do, and let's not let's not make that same mistake again. Because look, I mean, we you fight a guy like John Jones. It, he is the goat. And he has a great camp behind him. He has a lot of good people. And, and he's won this many fights, not just because by accident. He's, he's damn good at it. So we're going to have to really check all those boxes because it's, it's, it's going to be a war. But when, ideally for you, would you like to see Francis fight again? I mean, obviously, the, fight island, <laughs> fight, anything really, to be, to be honest with yeah. me. We, we, did, we did a 14-week training camp, right? Maybe even a little bit longer. So we were able to, to do a whole lot this camp and we didn't want to waste that time. We didn't want to waste that time at all. So really the camp to me was, was the most important part which was, was our growth in between that time. And you know, it, it, it is tough because you hear all the naysayers. Well, he is putting in a lot of the work behind the scenes. You're just not able to see it. You know, he's not, you don't get to see the wrestling that he's doing and all the, all the, all the other work that he's been putting in because he's going out and putting guys away. It's easy to say that, but um, you know, if we can fight, I would like to, I'd like to get back in there, you know, late June, early July. That was the pace. And that would be ideal, but even after the fight, he kind of mentally was prepared, hey, I might be sitting on the sidelines for nine months because there really isn't a fight that makes sense for him at heavyweight unless it's for the title fight, unless it's, you know, DC or Stipe, and we got to wait for those guys as it stands. But then you throw in John Jones's name in there, and that throws a whole monkey wrench to everything. So let me ask you, is is there any other name out there other than those three that was would even be worth fighting for i don't think so i I don't think you do anything else and i don't think you risk your number one spot you know because that's it you you nailed it so by all signs dc this is his last fight and he's going to retire so win win or lose that that catapults you right into the into the title fight with either Stipe or John Jones, whoever it may be at that heavyweight position and uh, you know and john jones is a super fight it's a big big money fight so you got to think what you know what makes more most sense financially too. So, um, and I think John is very smart with uh, his approach on it as well. He's going to, he's going to command a lot of the money and we get to kind of hop and piggyback on that. So we're, we're, we're fine with either. But what about Dan Ige? Where does he go from here? 
Um, I want that kid to take a, take a rest. Yeah. Just rest yeah, a little bit, Yeah, he deserves man. it. Yeah, so, you know, obviously we fought uh, in February against Mursad Bektik, another great fight. Um, and then with with Edson, I, I think we need to let things shake out over the summer. I'd like to see him possibly get scheduled maybe late August, early September. That was what we talked about on the on the plane. And, you know, um, kind of see where that featherweight division shakes itself out from here on from here on out. You know, there's, there's a lot of really good guys in that division. Um, it's super stacked, so... I think just waiting to see what happens from here. And what about Claudia? I know after she mentioned she wants to run it back mm-hmm. with Carla. So yeah. is that something you'd want to see? I mean, that's going to be really up to her and, mm-hmm. and, and Ali, if that makes sense for her. But that yeah. was a great fight, too, when she fought when she fought Carla with, and with controversy and with controversy as well. Um, so uh, Claudia's split time with us, and she's out in New Jersey quite a bit. So I think... Um, if if that's something that she wants to do, and and now that we're like working together a little bit, I think uh, I think it's a great fight for her. I love Carla, man. I love the way she fights. She's a, I'm a huge fan of hers, and and Angie as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like watching both those girls a lot. So um, I think that's a great fight for Claudia, to be honest. So part of fight week also is you're getting in there, you're holding mitts for a lot of different people, whether it's other fighters, other managers outside of your team over at Extreme Couture, like. I mean, who do you have? Who have you had the most fun holding mitts for the past two weeks? Because I know you've been doing it with a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, everybody. You know, I, I held pads for James Krause. Um, that dude just has cardio for days. They were jumping on James Krause. Yeah, for, in, in his corner, man. He it, was. It feeling, was tough. Yeah, it was tough. And you, you never want to see your colleagues get get you know lambasted like that. And um, I've known James a long time. We spoke about what kind of happened in the corner, what I saw, and I think I think to me. Um, because of the crowd noise, there, there, there being no crowd noise, um, you have to have a clear line of who's the number one or who are the head coach in that corner. And if it's, if it's James, it's James. If it's Coach Montoya, then it needs to be Coach Montoya. And I, it looked like there was just a little too much going on in that corner um, for, for me. And then, you know, you never want to see one of your and, – and Mark's one of the greatest guys you're ever going to meet, man. You never want to see guys get um, ridiculed for not stopping the fight. I, if I was in his shoes, I might have just – asked a little bit more questions like, Hey man, what do you think about this, this or that? Or got more answers out of Anthony and then gone and made my decision from there. But you know, he, he had to do what he had to do. Uh, the best analogy that I can give sometimes when you're looking down the gun barrel, you have, you have your eyes set on a site and a target. Sometimes you got to pull your eyes off the target and look at the whole landscape and understand what the whole environment looks like. Cause your center focus is on that one target. And that's what it looked like to me. Just he was in tunnel vision at the moment. So, is the responsibility just as much on the referee as it is in the corner? I know it's different than boxing, and we were we were talking about this too. It's mm-hmm. in boxing, it's a ring. You can easily throw in a towel. Correct. It's a, it's a it's a much easier visual. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna throw in a towel in MMA, what do you? You gotta lift it, throw it all the way yeah. over an octagon. Well, in technically, cage you and... can't even do that. Yeah, you yeah. have to tell the commissioner behind you. You tell the commissioner. The commissioner would stand up and wave it off. So. Um, yeah, it's different. It's different. That's where I'm going. It's very, very different. You're right. Um, so I know Herzog very well and I, I am absolutely elated every time that he walks in the locker room says, Hey, I got you guys. And I think he's one of the best referees there is now there there's, there's an importance to this too. So, and I know Jason very well as far as his, his refereeing, if he says a command, he says, fighter, you need to move and you move and you obey that command. He can't stop the fight right there. He just asked you to do something and you did as you were told. So now if he if he stops the fight, then there's going to be a legitimate complaint by the fighter. You know, so you can you can argue the fact it could have been stopped earlier, right? I mean, it, it is. It's all subjective at that time. But I know for a fact if he's saying, hey, man, you got to move here. You have to improve your position and you're doing all those things. You are intelligently defending yourself, right? So um, in, in my opinion, I think I think there was just... It just it just ended up looking bad, man, and and it could happen to any one of us, you know. I had to stop Vinny Magalesh's fight in PFL. It sucked. It was for a million dollars, right? And we've all been there. It's 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 not it's not an envious situation to be in, but um, I'm su- super empathetic towards Coach Mark and 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 James because those guys are very talented coaches. Yeah, but on the flip side, what's your thoughts on Dominic Cruz and his criticism towards Keith Peterson? I I, I think that that was. I think it was shit. I don't think that you, I think you can have a problem with the stoppage, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's no, there's no issue with that, but to jeopardize the man's integrity. I don't, I don't like that. I think Keith Peterson's equally as talented referee and he always smells like cigarette smoke. <laughs> 
Because, like, the dude smokes cigarettes. That's what happens. And he's probably under the bleachers smoking cigarettes. Like, but to say that he smelled like alcohol and cigarettes and this and to throw his reputation under the bus for, you know, a stoppage that you didn't agree with, I didn't, I didn't think that was cool. Yeah, neither did Herb Dean when I interviewed him, too. And <laughs> yeah, true, and, yeah. And the other thing, though, too, is they're all wearing gloves and right. everything's being sanitized. So mm. the alcohol smell could be from hand sanitizer, mm, just point. as equal <laughs> it is from, yeah. from it's a, that. It's a great point. And you, you have to give a guy who's been involved in this sport such a long time credibility and knowing yeah. that the dude wasn't out drinking before your fight, bro. We know that. He probably was smoking because he's a smoker, yeah. you know? And... I remember he cornered our fight in PFL when Lance fought for a million dollars and he came to came in the room and he was around the corner smoking a heater and came walking right in. It's <laughs> so like, yeah, the dude's going to smell like smoke, but you know what? He's a damn good ref. Yeah. No, no question about it too. It's, it's up to the fighter too, to not be, put themselves in a position where someone has to make a decision for right. them. And, and to Dom's credit, I, I do appreciate that him saying that later on. He's like, Hey, had I not been there, this wouldn't have been the situation. You know, but I think with, with the emotions and the gravity of what happened in that moment, maybe, maybe he just said it and didn't really think about really what the actions were going to cause and the domino effect to it. You know, we got a nice parody Twitter account out of it though. Keith Peterson, Twitter. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that Twitter account. Yeah, oh my gosh. Like, this guy's great. <laughs> yeah. Hey, any early so inklings of location of Fight Island? We've been trying to press Dana for a week, week and a half. Is it going to be in the Atlantic, the Pacific? Is right. it really an island? Is it Costa Rica? Like we're, we're trying to figure this out. I just know it's going to be SPF 100 for me because I'm going to burn bad wherever it's going to be. <laughs> just no mosquitoes, man, because I'm going to get tore up. I haven't heard anything at all, to be honest. I, I actually, I don't think that's ever really going to come around, to be to be quite honest. You don't think they're Friday. actually? I just don't think so because I think slowly things are going to start opening up. Um, we're going to, you know, I think they're going to have access to the Apex here soon. Um, and then if Arizona's offering to let us fight and let us go there, why, why ship everybody to an island just out of nostalgia, you know? Yeah. So let's just do it in Arizona. I think you're probably checking Twitter right now because they're going to, we're going to know today, maybe tomorrow, if yeah. it's going to be here at the apex on mm. the May 30th, or it's going to be in Arizona, but certainly June mm -hmm. and moving forward, all the U S fights are going to be here. Mm -hmm. Um, but where I come from with the Island stuff, it's Dana mentions, you know, we're going to run out of, uh, he's going to burn through his U S roster. He needs to have a location mm -hmm. for these people are going to fight inter the international fighters are going to fight. Right. And, the other countries are kind of locked down. Like I think the Dublin card was the last one standing. It's now been canceled. Right. That was in August. They had to cancel UFC 251 in Perth. So they need a location for the international fighters. For sure. And, and you know, you're right. Let's see how it, let's see how it all pans out. But, you know, I just think there's so many logistics that you're going to have to get through to get, to get it to happen. By then, who knows what's going to be. Maybe, maybe you can get guys here and, and not have to worry about doing all that stuff. Yeah. 2020 so unpredictable. <laughs> I'm down for Fight Island. I mean, I'm down for it. You know, let's go. So now that we got the Raiders coming in town too, um, you you work with some of the football guys too? Because I know like Shaq's even gone on record saying, "Hey, his three championship titles are because he traded M uh, trained yeah. MMA or the three yeah. with the Lakers initially." Like any of the Raiders guys coming through? They've been hitting us up quite a bit, and you know, wanting to know when we're opening and we're gonna get get going again. So we're we're actually good friends with Jay Glazer. Which has been a great connect for the for the Raiders for us. So once we get up and up and running, we're gonna do it. Because back when we almost first opened around that time, we had Patrick Willis. We had some really really good guys coming in and training with us during the off season. I felt like Patrick Willis could have carried right over and fought in MMA. Like he was unreal. Patrick Willis was a beast, and a lot of people. I think he retired at thirty or something. Yeah, he retired early in 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 football. And I'm a diehard Bears fan. I remember it. So I remember yeah. it. During that his heyday, it's like Brian Urlacher, yep. Ray Lewis, Patrick Willis. Those are the three best middle linebackers. Unbelievable. Yeah, he was he was a beast. Um, you know, our first podcast guest, Max Crosby. Yeah. He was a rookie. Mm -hmm. I think he had ten sacks last year. Yeah. You guys with the ginger beards, you oh, guys yeah. kind of look alike. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. can see I can see you guys like getting somewhere kid. together. He's yeah, good. He's, like cool, yeah. he's a big MMA fan Is too. He? Yeah. yeah. Was he Northern Colorado? Is that where he went? Uh, I think, uh, Northern Michigan. Northern Michigan. He's a Michigan okay. kid. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I think it's, I think it's Northern Maybe Michigan. Right. Yeah. yeah. It could be Northern Colorado, but I, I know, know he's I from like Michigan. The kid. I just remember the kid playing with his hair on fire and I like that. <laughs> I like know? him too. So are you Raiders fan then? I am because... now. I was, you know, so I was a season ticket Chargers guy for, for a long time. My, my folks lived in San Diego and once they moved, I just kind of like, ah, eh. you know, and then, but we were, you know, obviously Raiders were our big, uh, big rival. 
Um, growing up, my favorite player was Jack Tatum. He was one of the hardest hitting safeties to ever live, and I just love watching that guy play. And so I was always kind of a Raider fan. More I than guess. Ronnie Lott, though, harder safe. safety. I mean, there's Ronnie Lott and there's Jack Tatum, in my opinion. Those those two were were some of the Ed Reed. Of, Ed Reed can bang, but I'm telling well, you, Troy Polamalu can bang. Troy can bang, but you plug in some of those Jack Tatum hits, and the, back then it was where you're allowed to kill dudes. He paralyzed the guy, you know. Yeah. I mean, the guy can crack. So yeah, he was one of my favorites. So uh, that that Raiders mystique was was one of my favorite things. So I'm glad they're I'm glad I'm glad they're coming. The autumn wind. I sing the that. Wind. Yeah. Oh, you love singing that. Yeah. I think yeah. that's one of the best football jingles of all time. Yeah, for sure. It's, and their stadium looks sick. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Especially and at night too. It's gonna it's gonna be awesome. So oh being being born and raised in Vegas, never really think that this yeah, is gonna be for me us, too. right? It's like it's all right, pretty. now we got teams. I know. I'm like, is this real life? Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. I mean, in Eastern Michigan. Yeah, I I never knew. Th- I never thought that Vegas would have. You know, even growing up as a child, I never thought that Vegas would have professional sports. And right. then in the past few years, having the Golden Knights, having hockey, uh, they do summer league here. Pretty USC pretty soon, basketball. we're gonna USC yeah. basketball. We're gonna have a damn. We're gonna have a basketball team here. That's what I think. In no, the, the, the big yeah. beef was always just because of the gaming. Yeah, the, true. The, yeah. the sports book and the gaming is everything's gonna get fixed, and this is not. And then I just don't think it's ever really been conceivable. So, mm-hmm. you know, ha- having this here is is gonna be huge for us, and I'm super yeah. excited. Yeah, I mean, our our sponsor is for this podcast is mybookie.ag. I mean, go. look, there it is. <laughs> Throw it up there. Plug. I mean, that's we got to plug it up there because look. At least sports are back on, and we can gamble yes. on it, oh, and yeah. it's legal to gamble oh, on. Yeah. And there's MMA fights to gamble on. So uh, I would have loved to seen those numbers for the yeah. last couple of weeks for for MMA betting. Just just oh, just true. all the guys yeah. just firing on something. They're yeah. like, yes. yeah, yeah. So we, they work with us. You match up to fifty percent of what you put in, and put in thousand dollars. So that means every time this guy is uh, got someone that he's cornering, <laughs> bet on this guy because he <laughs> went three for three. I know. <laughs> Parlay. It's yeah. crazy, man. It's uh, one a really good coach told me one time: you get 24 hours to celebrate, you get 24 hours to cry, but you're back to work on Monday. You know, so it's it's nice it's nice to come home and ride that momentum. But you know, it's it's MMA, man. The sport's so fickle at times, and you just can always be on the other side of that. So, for sure, have you um you know obviously had the devastating loss right before it all kind of transpired? But have you talked to Kevin at all? I know he had to get the, the yeah. surgery, and how's I, he doing? I Kevin pretty Lee. much talked to him like every week. We Facetimed mm-hmm. uh, a bunch and. You know, he was um, very instrumental in in kind of rehashing some of the camp stuff we did with Edson Barboza. Um, we FaceTimed right after Francis's fight, and you know it's important that during this time, especially you know we've we've all been in quarantine, right, right now, and then now he's really in quarantine. He can't do anything at all, and he's stuck. So um, just just the family and the team kind of rallying around him and checking in on him, I think, is very important. So he's doing good. He's in good spirits. But, uh, you know, he's my boy, man. We still razz him. You got to. <laughs> yeah. What? Oh, were you going to say something? No, I was giving you the opportunity. No, I mean. You're, not, you're just wearing your favorite sky blue shirt today? Well, I had to match the background, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we had some upgrades to the studio since you came by I last. love it, man. It looks great in here. Oh, and you matched that background. Yeah, see, the maroon. I planned yeah, that because I did we... that last time. Color coordinate. That's right. Yeah. Um, I guess my final fight question for you, too, is uh, any fighters you, you have upcoming on the radar yeah. that we should know about here first so everyone listening can kind of keep an eye on, keep keep under wraps, because I think we've highlighted quite a few yeah. of the yeah. successful Under the ones. radar yeah. coming up. I don't know if he's under the radar anymore, but it's Puna Soriano. Yeah. That kid is a yeah. hammer. Hammer, you know, so uh, I'm excited for, for him. And, you know, we had a couple fights that got pushed off and backed up. So he was supposed to fight on this last one. And you know, we had a couple setbacks that we just wanted to not push him too fast. But, man, this kid is super, super talented. Yeah, I think he was the first one to get the victory on this most recent uh, Dana White Contender Series yeah. fight. I've mm-hmm. seen him over at the UFC PI and it, at your gym mm-hmm. quite a few times. Uh, very impressive. Yeah. Impressive in his last outing, too. Um any any news for an opponent or an upcoming fight? When would you like to see him? You back know, actually, in there? I just talked to Mick about him over the week, and mm-hmm. we just he just asked me how he's coming along and when when do I want to book him again? And I said, um, hopefully late June, early July. He said, I'm on it. You know, so uh, and very interesting backstory. Like Dan and Puna, high school buddies, grew up together. They've known each other forever. Same same spot in Hawaii, and you know now they're both making noise in the UFC, and they're both at our gym and just working their butts off. 
when is someone going to make a loud enough noise to get f- a fight card in Hawaii? Because there's Max True. Holloway, there's those yeah. two. I don't, I don't understand. Bell, yeah. uh, Bell Brad Tavares. Brad yeah. Tavares. Yeah, I mean, Another one of guys. You know, um, yeah, I, I can't believe it hasn't happened yet. From what I heard, they just don't have the uh, the, the location that would that would fit. But, you know, we've done a Bellator there. Um, I've done some smaller shows in Hawaii. And the way they come out, I mean, these, these guys, when you watch these kids fight in the streets, they're like high-level street fights you'll watch on YouTube. They're better than some of the fights you'll see, like, in amateur levels. So, I mean, the, the, the fighting is in their nature. Um, and then at Extreme Couture, we're basically, we call ourselves Hawaiian top team. You know, all the boys in there are pretty much all Hawaiian. So, yeah, they, they need to do one out there for sure. Excellent, man. Well, let's wrap it up on this. Uh, final thoughts, final message, yeah. anything you want to get out there for everyone listening or watching? No, I just, uh, I can't wait to reopen the gym. Can't wait to get back to work and at a full capacity. And, you know, I hope everybody's uh, getting through these trying times. And, uh, you know, uh, for, at the end of the day, I actually, I sent Dana a text and just told him, you know, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to be able to work during this time, yes. uh, provide some income for my family. And, you know, I, I, I felt what they did was great. Uh, there was a lot of questions. There was a lot of questions, I think, about a lot of people and, and watching him pull that off, I think was, uh, was the light and, and the darkness that we all needed at times, you know? So it was great. I sent him the same text <laughs> on yeah. behalf of Helen. Yeah. And I yeah. just copy and paste. Very well yeah. said. <laughs> the oppor- opportunity to, to cover the sport, to right. do what we yeah. love, to make an income mm-hmm. and to inform the fans. A lot of people appreciate it. I mean, yeah. sports are an escape and like, it's what people turn to, to get rid of just for a couple hours, like their worst thoughts and their daily mm-hmm. struggles and money and right. situations like that. And then, you know, now there's stuff to talk about for the next couple yeah. of weeks, you know, especially catapulting into what we got coming up uh, at the end of the month. But, you know, I thought they did a great job, you know, and, and you got to give credit where credit's due. And I ho- hopefully that's the way that, that paved the way for the rest of these um, sporting industries and organizations to, to, to start doing something, you know, and, and get, let's get going. It's Coach Eric Nixick, Extreme Couture. Helen Yee Sports, Dave Schmoltz and the Schmo, episode 16, the Schmo Zone. We are out. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.